hey, check it out. Hey, hey, check it out. There's a lady who watches movies and they're super gross and it kind of messes her up and she misses her sister and then some stuff happens, but it turns out, okay, sorry for the spoilers. Let's check it out. Thank you. <laughs> hey, everyone. I'm Josh Kagan and this is my week to make my friends watch some movies on Hey, Check It Out. Friends, introduce yourselves. Hi, I'm Corey. Hi, <laughs> I'm Anna. And apparently that was hysterical. We're off to a great start. Comedy gold. Comedy gold. We're doing something a little different this week, especially for me. Number one, this is a movie that we all really liked because it's really fucking good. Number two, and this is exceptional for me, it's a movie made after the year 1978. We are talking about uh, 2021's uh, fucking psychological horror masterpiece, in my opinion, Prano Bailey Bond's Day you movie writing and directing censor which came out earlier uh in 2021 and uh and uh, got a bunch of great uh reviews and kind of nobody saw it which is a drag because it's real good so we're just gonna big up it until we're tired of big upping it uh there will be spoilers so please if you haven't seen the picture uh, go see the picture first question yes. does it count as a movie produced after 1978 if if it's <laughs> set in in that time frame you found the kagan <laughs> loophole <laughs> it's extremely valid <laughs> yes the second i heard about this i was like my like if if i had dog ears they would have been like <laughs> I had like a horror movie oh, okay well it's from the england oh i do like stuff from england about the video nasties era i'm gonna watch this movie and i'm gonna love the shit out of it and I did those things. And then also about somebody who works on a film classification slash censorship board, sign me the fuck up. Cause yes. listeners, I used, I, I, I used to do that. That was a job I had. That was, that's a thankless ass job. I think we've talked about this before on the big show. I don't know if we, anyway, I did it for a year and with the, the board that I worked on didn't actually censor anything. We just classified stuff. So we didn't request cuts or anything like in the film, but I did have to watch. Well, okay. So it's like, you hear about it and you're like, uh, and I'm like, yeah, I watched every movie from that was released in my region between August, 2004 to like August, 2005 or 2003 to 2004. I can't recall. One of those. Anyway, and people are like, that sounds great. And I'm like, no, no, no. I had to watch every movie released in my region during this time frame. That's why I've seen Baby Geniuses 2 and Son of the Mask. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. At least, oh, and, and uh, uh, Alone in the Dark. What's Alone in the Dark? Is you know, it about by, that, by, the, by that guy that makes bad Tra movies. Do on bowls? That's the one. Yeah, it's a video game movie. Yeah. Oh. Uh, got Christian I, Slater in it. it. Alone in the Dark has one of those, like, classic video nasty titles, I feel like, where you think it sounds like something from 1978. Yeah. I think literally one of the ones on the list that you sent us is Alone in the Dark. I was shocked that I'd only seen, like, I think two of those movies. So, very quickly... Mm. So I don't drone through the entire episode. Uh, so Censor takes place in the uh, early 80s in the UK, the Thatcher era, during a time known for a phenomenon, uh, the video nasties. 
I am going to very quickly explain what the video nasties were for those of you who don't know, and then we're all going to get on with the rest of our lives. In the early 80s, home video takes off in the UK, but big studios have cold feet about getting into the video business. So the demand for home video is met by scuzzy producers who dump tons and tons of scuzzy horror movies, mostly Italian and US movies, onto VHS and slap lurid, violent pictures on the boxes. These, of course, sell and rent real good. And it's not a problem content-wise because all of the movies had already been rated by the British Board of Film Classification and also no content laws for home video exist in the UK at that time. Well, guess what? A movie called Driller Killer by the uh, bad lieutenant director Abel Ferrara uh, gets a big write-up and a lot of pictures in a uh, video catalog, and a lot of people see it, and it bums a lot of people out, as do all of the lurid boxes. So a coalition of parents, religious types, media busybodies, and Mary fucking Whitehouse, who makes a little cameo in the movie, uh, censor, uh, they unite to be like, what about the children? The UK Director of Prosecution compiles a list of the 72 worst offenders, which are colloquially known as the Video Nasties. In 1984, the Video Recordings Act passes in the UK, now making it illegal to sell or own the movies on this list, plus a bunch more. As a result, movies for the home video market have to be reclassified with new cuts, even if it already passed for classification to play in cinemas. All this does is strice and affect the movies on the list, making everybody want to see them, bootleg them, sell them on the black market, etc. The movies range in quality from real grindhouse scuzz like Cannibal Holocaust and SS Experiment Camp to genre cornerstones like Last House on the Left, Bay of Blood, Tenebrae, The Beyond, and the movie of the t-shirt I am wearing currently, thematically, House by the Cemetery. As I said, a lot of Italian stuff. Uh, and even the critically lauded art house classic Possession, uh, which was nominated for the Palme d'Or and is a video nasty. The law was declared unenforceable by the European Commission in 2009, but the UK just made a new one in 2010. And to this day, movies are still cut for extreme cases of extreme violence against women and depictions of animal cruelty. Out of the original list of 72 video nasties, 10 have yet to be re-released in the UK. That's the story of Video Nasties. If you want to know more, there's a whole internet. <laughs> Thank you. What about my local library? Or your local library, but wear a mask. Thanks. So between that and the uh, shit dumpster parade that was Thatcherite uh, UK in the early 80s, that's the world of censor. And it is not great. It's not a great time to be a person in the UK, but it is a great place to set a horror movie. Friends, what were your initial thoughts about Censor? I, for one, loved it. It's fucking great. I always love a movie about itself. It's just <laughs> one of my things. I was completely unaware that video nasties was a real term. I thought the movie made it up. I didn't live through this era or experience any of this, but it's got parallels with the video game industry which has definitely had an effect on my life oh i bet god uh, like this movie is like the color is beautiful the lights beautiful framing is so on the dot or like the asymmetry is perfectly balanced and like the way faces are lit to so the so the shadows on one side or they're always shot in like 
complete profile is just a really spectacular choice. It's a technically perfect movie. And uh, as I qu- as I mentioned before we started recording, uh, my wife and I watched this We uh, double feature. We watched Malignant first and then Censor. Uh, and uh, Malignant, all of the press on that was like, oh, it's going to be like an Italian movie and I'm real inspired by like Bava and Argento and blah, 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 all this stuff that James Wan was sort of hoofing and poofing about at the time. And he made a big deal about it. And uh, Malignant, doesn't look like that at all. Whereas censor basically says, mm. Oh, okay. Are we drawing from that pile of influences? Sure. And then made a real fucking movie about it. Uh, Corey. And I will say this, if you like the lighting in this, I highly recommend the early movies of Mario Bava because they're mm-hmm. very similar blood and black lace and Hercules in yes. the haunted world. Mm have a lot of similar framing and, but especially those red and green and blue gels on the lights and that perfect sort of technical lighting. Yeah. Uh, it is very Bava and very Argento influenced in a way that it's still a movie about something besides references. Uh, but Anna, what were your initial thoughts of uh, Sensor? Well, so I actually saw Sensor for the first time four months ago when it first <gasps> uh, was available on the internet you torrented it just say you torrented it what no plausible <laughs> deniability yeah I, I torrented the shit out of it because i'm like i saw it come up on my torrent site and like and i thought fuck you new filmmaker <laughs> it's a pandemic and i did not really have a lot of options in order to reasonable this reasonable reasonable listeners please pay for your films don't don't do what anna does uh, there now now i have told people not you've absolved yourself i've absolved myself i uh, my reach is limited nobody does what i tell them so anyway this is how i sleep at night anywho so i watched it i watched it four months ago and i thought it was great and i was happy to watch it again to remind my to review it for this podcast because i'd forgotten a lot of it because i was not watching it with the intent of talking about it for however long uh and i really enjoyed it on the second uh second go around as well and because i had seen it before i could pick i picked up on some more stuff and i yeah it's really good like i say it speaks to like some of my experiences and i enjoy the uh yeah all the lighting choices the it's honestly like i when i finished watching it for the second time i was like what else has this director done and i looked it up and you're like oh this is her first feature film she's it's, a genius it's god incredible. this is like watching raw <laughs> it's <laughs> there's so man we you know I have no problem with there being shit tons of talented women filmmakers making horror movies and just getting them all right out off the bat. Coolio, let's keep doing that. It's one of the most assured debuts I've ever seen. Uh, we just uh, in Oct- we watched uh, a shit ton of horror movies in October because tis the season, uh, and I'd never seen uh, I'd never seen uh, Del Toro's Kronos before, uh, which is his first movie. And uh, a friend of mine compared it to Blood Simple, which is just like right out the gate. This is exactly the filmmaker that this person is, and all of the themes in this movie are going to be in all of the movies forever and ever and i put sensor on that pile of just like i can't imagine now uh 
the director did do a short version of this uh, called mm-hmm. Nasty, uh, which wow. I have not seen and which will be on the God bless them vinegar syndrome, <laughs> super fat release of Censor, which is so perfect that an exploitation label is putting this out. I love them so much, but I'm excited to see the short version of it. But man, oh man, I can't imagine uh, a better debut picture. Uh, so let's. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Uh, and like I said, we are going to, this is a movie that definitely, unlike say peanut butter solution, this is a movie that definitely can be spoiled. <laughs> you leave it out in the sun or something. Oh, <laughs> it was pre-spoiled. It's got all those raw rotten. eggs in it. <laughs> true. Anyways. So rotten egg in it. Uh, right. we st- the movie starts all garbage and four by three and VHS fuckery is happening. You're and you're mad at it? Why are you mad? No, that's how it starts. My least favorite part of any modern movie is the 62 minutes of uh, producer vanity cards, where it's just like, here's my little animated bit. Oh, yeah, here's my production's little animated bit. But all of them are squeezed into a four by three old school TV ratio, and it's all Instagram filter glitchy. And then we immediately slam into uh, the opening sequence, which is, and we maintain the, uh, the sort of TV. TV glitchy shot and we see a woman in beautifully perfectly lit spooky woods running and being terrified and oh no she's getting murdered by something but then the movie pauses and we come out and we're like there's two people sitting in a room watching a movie taking notes uh the lady's like no i want to see what what gets her Mm. like i want i want there to be like some she says sense of retribution She's also in the room with the worst human being in the world. Sanderson. Oh, God. He's he's like everything loathable about cis white males. The worst person in the world in a movie that has actual murderers and pornographers. (laughs) Worst character in the film. And uh, the lady is Enid, Enid, and uh, she's our lead. And uh, she's tremendous. Uh, And uh, they are debating about whether or not an eye gouging should be cut from the film. And he starts using Shakespeare as a defense. He's like, oh, no, it's it's beautiful. It's art. It's like Shakespeare. It's like Titus Andronicus. It's like this. It's like mm-hmm. Lush and Andalou. And he didn't. He's <laughs> like, you're neglecting the intellectual layer because of the context and the tradition and the history where all of this eye gouging happened. It's okay. <laughs> He's, she's like, but our job is to cut gross things that might hurt people, and I take my job seriously, and I don't want anything bad to happen, so I feel like we should cut the eye gouging, despite Shakespeare, you prat. Uh, and then from and then they both shrug and look at the camera like, and now here's the opening credit. They don't do that, but <laughs> no. then we get the we get the opening <laughs> credits. Censor. There is a nice bit where where he's like, well, what about the decapitation? And she's like, no, that's silly. It's fine. Remember that, listeners. Remember the fact that remember the fact that Enid thinks decapitations are silly and fine. This is definitely an authentic conversation that people classifying films would have, by the way. <laughs> it's my personal experience. What was the biggest dust up when y'all were talking about stuff like that? Like was there was there an, was there an eye gouging conversation? Here's the really hilarious thing about it, or like my my particular experience, which is that the movies that we had the biggest dust ups over were generally speaking 
the ones that nobody was probably going to see anyway because nobody cared and didn't even have like extreme like eye gouging or anything. It was just like the difference between going PG or 14A or whatever because we're in Canada, so PG, PG-13. Sure. And it, like, and 20 people were probably going to go see them anyway, but <laughs> we'd be in the room for like an hour debating it. Because the thing is that when you're classifying stuff, like the stuff that's gross is obviously gross and it's not really a debate. Although... There was a Wes Craven movie about werewolves, the name of which I forget. Oh, it's Christina Ricci and Craig Kilborn, right? Yeah. Fuck, what was that called? Cursed? Cursed, that's the one. It wanted to be Ginger Snaps, but it was not Ginger Snaps. <laughs> there was a lot of debate about whether we should go 14A or 18A on it, 18A being the equivalent of R in the, in the US, and I... I felt that there was a sufficient amount of gore that it should have a higher rating. And I was roundly um, dismissed by my colleagues because they felt that gore was very silly and so didn't require a higher rating. And then every other province is rated higher than us. And it was embarrassing to me, but nobody else cared because nobody went to see Cursed. Literally nobody went to go see that movie. I barely remember it. <laughs> I've never heard of it. Yeah. Well, here's why. It's a Christina Ricci Craig Kilborn movie. <laughs> like that's not I like Christina Ricci a lot, but once yeah. you once you once you throw Kilborn at anything, it's just like I feel like maybe Rose McGowan was in it too. I don't know. Anyhow. Anything's po anything's possible. Um anyway, anyway, that's 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 my story. Yeah. That's I was really hoping it was over baby geniuses TBH. Oh, actually I had a big actually I had a big debate over the wedding crashers. That was probably the bigger one. I can I can understand. No, because because I felt very strongly at the time and I still feel very strongly actually that the scene where Vince Vaughn gets uh tied up and sexually assaulted was a scene of sexual assault and should be classified as such and nobody agreed with me. Nope, just good times. I feel like history has vindicated me on that. It's just one. shenanigans, Anna. Just, <sighs> just wacky bits, wacky rape bits. Anyway, if anybody wonders if I've always been like this, I have. <laughs> yeah, I had, we get the I opening had... credits. Yay! And they're real gross. I don't know how much of these <laughs> are actual video nasties and how much the movie. All of the footage of the movie after the opening credits seems to have been made in-house as parody tribute to Video Nasties. Mm -hmm. The stuff in the opening credits feels legit. I'm pretty sure they're showing footage of Driller Killer at the very least. Yeah, there's definitely murders being done with a drill. Yeah. Like The whole mm -hmm. thing is this VHS tape being loaded into the cassette driver, and it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. There's also news reports going on talking about like the dangers of violence and horror in British cinema and mm -hmm. how people will not be able to discern between reality and fiction because of the violence. That's not going to be relevant. Never, never. It'll never come up again. And we do see a second of a uh, real life person, Mary Whitehouse, who was the basically like the chief pearl clutcher of the uk in the thatcher era uh if it was a thing that people were enjoying uh she was there to she was there to stop it and she was wildly successful and a dreadful human being who i am convinced uh drove a woman to her death oh. ouch 
porn actress and uh, sex worker Mary Millington, who was one of the biggest stars of England in the late 70s and early 80s. Was it's there's kind of no comparison in the US or in Canada. She was just like in softcore and hardcore porn movies and was wildly famous for it and like on covers of magazines and like personal appearances, owned a series of shops, and was basically for the last five years of her life harassed and harangued by the cops, um, shutting down her stores, arresting her for possession, no re- you know, and just like, and this was all kind of under Mary Whitehouse's watch. And uh, eventually, uh, Millington ended up killing herself, and I blame Mary Whitehouse. Uh, anyways, she's a terrible human being, and I'm glad she's dead because uh, she made the world a worse place. <laughs> anyways... <laughs> So we get back to Enid, and now she's watching somebody take a, uh, a hypodermic needle to the eye for fun. The first time I watched this, I actually looked away in the scene because I thought it was going to be the eye gouging. Like I thought the eyeball was going to oh, yes. come out and it was going to be gross, but it actually just kind of cuts. The, yeah. the needle hits the eye and it just goes and then cuts. This was the it's- point at which I was glad I wasn't rewatching this with my girlfriend because she specifically hates eye trauma. Oh, yeah. You're not going to be able to watch a lot of Italian movies with her. I don't intend to. Italians, they hate eyes. Fulci, <laughs> that motherfucker hated eyes. I don't know what eyes did. If it weren't for eyes, Fulci wouldn't have a job because people wouldn't be able to look at shit like movies. Maybe he was ashamed of what he was making and he didn't want people to look. Mm. He does have a great quote about it, but also he said it in such a way that it was just like, oh, this guy was maybe also really a murderer. He's like, hey, somebody said to him, hey, Fulci, why why so many people get it in the eyes in your movies? I'm paraphrasing. And he said, the eyes have seen too many terrible things. They got to go. Ooh, that's good. Like it. <laughs> it's good. Oh, that's very reason. Bada boom, bada bing. You got to get those eyes out of there. They got too much evil in them. Luckily, we don't see this eye get gouged. And then we're into a full meeting of the uh, censor board. And everybody kind of argues about how the government doesn't know what it's doing. The government is introducing more guidelines for the censorship Mm. board to have to deal with. And they're like, well, if you put more money in social work, it wouldn't fault us to prevent people from stabbing each other because they saw a movie where someone stabbed someone. And then Enid's like, but the children. Maybe Thatcherism is bad, actually, some some people think. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's like, I think it's okay. I think we should just cut more things from the movies and all will be well. Well, it's an interesting, I mean, and I think we'll be talking about this probably throughout, which is it's difficult to ascertain at times. Enid's job is to cut things from movies, and she does it with real zeal. It's hard to kind of tell what she actually thinks. Mm. We've all watched Dragnet, I'm sure, right? Just me. Nope, uh, nope. But Joe, nope, never. Okay, Dra- it is a cop show from the 1960s. Dun, 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 dun. But, uh, you know, uh, and it had Joe Friday and he was the just the facts ma'am guy. And basically in every episode, somebody would be like, well, smoking pot doesn't hurt anybody, right? It's not as bad, you know, it's like it's alcohol or whatever. There were people would say to Joe Friday, like, why do you have a problem with marijuana? And he would say, I don't have a problem with marijuana. The law has a problem with it. And I enforce the law. So I guess it's a roundabout way of saying Enid's job in her mind 
is to cut these movies because that's the job that she has. I don't know if she worked at McDonald's if she would take making fries the same amount of serious. I don't know if she actually hates these movies or not. I think you're quite correct. But I will also add that Enid's job is not specifically just to cut things, but Enid's job is to watch everything, to have to see everything, regardless of how she feels about it. Right. And I think a lot of that contributes to the way, like, and she talks about it later, the way in which she dissociates herself from what she's watching in order to cope with it, which is, I'm, I'm just going to put it out there, maybe not a thing she, she started doing just so she could do this job specifically. Yes, right. yes. Enid is a world-class gold medal disassociator and does <laughs> some, she does some real fine disassociating over the course of this film. Sure does. Like my read on her is like she's very uptight, right? She's very controlling. She wants the the rules to be followed to the utmost. That's why her coworkers make fun of her and call her Miss Perfect. Yeah. And she takes it very incredibly serious. Like it's it's her entire role in life is to protect other people from something that could harm them. Wonder why. Such yeah. as watching someone getting their junk cut off. Right. Well, and she is she is a person who, although we don't know the details, certainly feels like she made a really big mistake once and never wants to make a really big mistake again. Um, we talk about her being kind of buttoned up and a perfectionist. I will say that uh, the actor playing uh, Enid doesn't necessarily play her. It is not a typical stick in the mud, uptight no. defender of the moral good performance. Everything she says is very matter of fact. Everything she says is is well thought out. And again, it doesn't seem there's not a lot of emotion tied up in it. Business mm-hmm. never personal is is our Enid, and that kind of falls apart over the course of the picture. I do think that she does, at least on some level, believe that the work she's doing is important and necessary because that's the the times when you see her fired up about work are the times when she's like saying that this is necessary and that they need to protect people and whether or not she really, really in the heart of hearts thinks she's actually doing that job. She's definitely telling herself that it's important that she's doing work to protect people. Yes. She obviously has a complex as Corey pointed out about like needing to protect and keep people safe. Let's find Mm -hmm. out why. So um, (laughs) they decide to reject cannibal carnage uh, which is the movie that uh, they're all sitting around and discussing at the big round table on Enid Say So. So farewell, Cannibal Carnage. Slight side note here. Yes. <laughs> cannibal Carnage is obviously Cannibal Holocaust, right? Could be Cannibal Ferox. Yep. <laughs> Could be any of the cannibal movies, really. But but specifically, while I was reading about uh, Mary Whitehouse yes. and the, the nasties, uh, the producers of like the video distribution producers of cannibal holocaust specifically filed a complaint against themselves to drive up sales of cannibal holocaust in in reaction to like all of Mm. the censorship board stuff that was going on Hmm. that's amazing god bless any movie, any movie from from that era that was made by an Italian director and has the word cannibal in it is probably not a good movie to see. 
there's there's one good one or not good one i mean it's not cannibal holocaust or though maybe it is cannibal holocaust there's cannibal ferox mm -hmm. there's one other cannibal movie that's terrible the one where they kill the turtle but then there's a cannibal something movie with john uh saxon in it the wonderful, very handsome John Saxon, oh. which is more of a zombie movie than it is because the cannibal movies generally, when they're Italian cannibal movies, it's we go to the jungle, we meet a tribe, the tribe eats us in very crushing detail. But there's one, I think there's one okay-ish cannibal movie because it's okay. more of a zombie movie, but for the most part, they're trash. So now it's after uh, after hours, uh, and Enid's coworker Anne uh, needs to go home early for her sister's birthday. Enid, can you type your my uh, notes up for me? And Enid, uh, at the mention of a sister, goes slightly blank, uh, and then pulls out of it and is like, "Of course, I'll type up your notes. I'm Enid. I get shit done." From later conversations, it's clear that she stays at work late. A lot. Mm -hmm. Yep. Doesn't have much of a life outside of the office, as we will come to learn. Uh, she uh, she finally is on her way home. She goes to the spookiest tube station in all of the UK, which I guess is her local. And as she's walking, there's a redheaded lady in front of her. And she says, excuse me, excuse me. And the lady turns around and is like, what the fuck? And Edith's like, oh, no, I'm sorry. I I thought you were someone else. Put a pin in that. <laughs> now we're home with Enid. Enid is doing a crossword puzzle, popping some Alka-Seltzer, and watching Margaret Thatcher on the TV. And it is truly the only moment of joy that this character has in this entire movie. And it doesn't even look that great. Yeah, joy, joy is a strong word for for her being very satisfied that she finished a crossword puzzle. She that got a four-letter word and a five-letter word in a like row. A pretty, pretty simple puzzle. She has so little joy in this movie I that know. I that upon the second watch, I was like, oh, good for you, girl. You finished that crossword puzzle. That literally looks like it could be on a children's menu in a restaurant. And then the phone rings and she doesn't answer it, even though it's like a few feet away and it goes to message and her mom's like, hey, I hate talking to the machine. If you're there, we've got Din Din at like nine. Your dad made reservations at that place he told you about, you know, whatever. See you there. Welcome to the most depressing dinner in the history of cinema. <laughs> this is my family. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Can I just say? Yes. Not unlike when you're going to break up with somebody. I'm not entirely sure that dinner was the right venue for this conversation. And furthermore, if you were going to have it at dinner, you maybe want to do it at the end, not at the beginning <laughs> to, you know, reduce the awkwardness. But that's just my feeling on the matter. Well, what are, Corey, what, what, what are the parents? What's the big news that the parents have for their beloved daughter? They've gone and printed off a death certificate. <laughs> they printed off ones for her that she can keep suitable yeah. for framing we come to find out that uh enid's younger sister disappeared when they were kids and that enid has kept the torch lit all these many years that they're gonna find her and it's gonna be great and the parents are like no girl we're never gonna find her she did we printed up a death certificate 
so we can just finally all just get on with our life. We're we're very old. We're not. We don't have a lot of life left, and we don't want to spend mm-hmm. it thinking and looking over our shoulder and worrying. And Enid is just like, "Hey, here's an idea. Go fuck yourselves." She is fucking. She's like, and it's. And she's furious and sad and pathetic at the same time because she's like, look, I, I told you I don't remember anything from that night, but I, I'll try. I'll try and remember harder. And they're like, no, 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 no. She did. We've done this. Yeah. And then they're like, is- how about the fish? Our neighbors told us the fish at this place was great. They had a lovely time. It's the most British shit ever. Like you want to talk about not being in touch with your feelings and just like it could, it's practically a goddamn Python sketch, which is like your sister's dead. Here's the death certificate. And now the fish. And it's just like, Oh no, they're terrible. They also don't refer to them. Like, I know they're talking to their daughter, but she, the mom's already like dad and I think, and I'm just like, it's so weird and distancing like and they 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 have like no emotion basically they're so shut down like the dad especially just looks like if an emotion came near him he'd break out in hives yeah she starts like picking at her thumb because she's you know like bottles also relatable and her dad's like eat it like don't embarrass us in the restaurant by having a scene where she's just like subtly picking at her thumb (laughs) The dad 100% absolutely blames Enid. Oh, yeah. But he said, he said, we're not blaming you. QED. Uh, you got me on that one. You're absolutely yeah. right. I take it back. Uh, he is wearing a T-shirt that says, honk if you also blame my daughter for my other daughter's disappearance. <laughs> He's wearing a T-shirt that says, <laughs> that says, people are asking a lot of questions about my T-shirt that says my daughter is not responsible for my other daughter's death. My daughter was responsible for my other daughter's disappearance and all I got was this lousy T-shirt. <laughs> Corey, you said this was your family and I'm super concerned concerned about you my dad's father uh immigrated from england in the 50s and that entire side of the family like i went to a birthday party in august where we sat outside in the yard with like fold-up chairs and stuff and it was just sitting in silence waiting for someone to say something not controversial that sounds great for our british listeners we would also like to say that there are plenty of British people who have access to their emotions uh, when drinking or when their <laughs> soccer team wins. <laughs> or, or when they encounter a transgender person. Ahem. You can cut that. <laughs> Absolutely not. No. God, no. And <laughs> is a little salty about that one. Oh, yeah. Oh. Oh. Enid goes home and opens up her, her fabulous box of memories, which is oh, photos Enid. of her sister and toys and a newspaper clipping that is the first time it's really clear that her sister was seven when this happened. Like, mm. this was forever ago. The death certificate's yeah. like, this happened in 1965. Mm-hmm. We get a quick little teeny tiny flashback of the day that it happened and the sister being spun around by Enid. But then we're back on the tube uh, and it's the next day and we are, we're, we're Thatcher's England. You're soaking in it. You get two people arguing because they're skint because they both lost their jobs. Somebody's reading a newspaper that's like crime is on the rise and it's, man, it sucks right now. Do the video nasties. Yeah. 
video nasties are causing crime. It's the fault of the video nasties. Um, boy, oh boy. It never even occurred to me about the uh, the tie-ins to uh, what we currently uh, process, mm-hmm. uh, how we currently process video games. It's goddamn. Nothing mm-hmm. ever fucking changes. And what's most important is that we find a thing in pop culture to blame for shit that's our fault. We're really good at it. Anyway. It's only a matter of time before they come for our squid games, guys. Out of my cold, dead hands. Tentacle, I guess. <laughs> all, all, all it's going to take is for Bezos to run, run one squid game. And we're He'll we're do all going to be... <laughs> How, in what, I mean, in what way is he not really running the squid game, though? I assume he's been running squid games for ages. How are Amazon's warehouses not Squid Game? <laughs> like they're just like you're That's just gonna good, work and we'll pay you until you die. Not as much fun. No, they got they got those new crying booths for they're their five not, minute breaks. They're not you know? as fair. There's less chance of actually winning money. That's There's true. a lot of ways in which Squid Game is a better deal than working for Amazon. That's why if you vote for me, I'm gonna bring you the Squid Games. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on i've seen enough movies this is how the purge starts it's not listen late stage capitalism is not my fault it's and the video na- it's video nasties the video nasties and video video games i generally prefer japanese media none of this is my fault back at the office <laughs> two nice ladies are sitting there watching a video called extreme coda <laughs> where there's just a graphic rape happening we assume because we can only hear it we can see their faces you know what i'm okay with that <laughs> yeah me too we see just enough of the room uh where that's happening because that that's going to come up later and then it's a coffee break and and the part the uh the watching partner is like Enid, it's so weird. You're never affected by these movies. Like, they just don't seem to get to you at all. And Enid's just sort of like, you know, business never personal is my job, blah, blah, blah. I'm definitely not dead inside. So that's a good part. (laughs) It's like, really? And she's like, you know, maybe we should talk about your drinking problem. And it's like, you know what? You're fine. You're fine. Then somebody comes in and is like, Enid, you're wanted in the boss's office. And uh, her and fucking smug, terrible white guy, they are in trouble because there has been a murder in England. A gentleman uh, killed his wife, ate her face, and then shot his two kids. And unfortunately, Enid and shitty white guy uh, gave the okay to a movie, I believe it is called Deranged, where a gentleman eats a person's face. And so that's enough for uh, the censor board to be blamed for this murder. And we come to find out that the uh, journalist who's going to blow the story wide open knows that Enid and her partner were the ones who uh, certified it. And now Mm -hmm. uh, her life is going to be miserable and his life seems to continue on just fine. He seems to reap no effects from this whatsoever. Just goes off The difference being that he doesn't care and she does, I think, fundamentally. And also... Also, as you point out in your notes, the movie's not about him. And thank God for that. Not his movie. It's not his movie. It's Enid's movie. I wouldn't want, man, I wouldn't want to watch that movie. I mean, unless he got his comeuppance, I'd kind of enjoy that. But still. 
Uh, during this, she has more flashbacks to her sister uh, and then gets mm. chewed out some more. Uh, and now uh, she's at home and we hear a little more about the murders. Uh, the gentleman who committed the murders, they're calling him the amnesiac killer because he loves the Radiohead record right after Kid A. <laughs> uh, but also, he doesn't remember anything that happened. This is one of the movie's big themes is the inpersistence of memory and how hmm. it d does all sorts of things that it shouldn't to make you be okay with whatever the fuck you did that you have forgotten. Or you can just lie and say you forgot you ate someone's face and hope that you, you know. I f the classic Steve Martin routine. I forgot. <laughs> I forgot embezzling was illegal. <laughs> I'm sorry. Are you making I another all of me reference? Uh, no, that's uh, that's actually from his uh, one of his uh, comedy records. Well, never mind then. From a thousand years ago, because I'm old. Oh, okay. Enid doesn't remember any of the details of her sister's disappearance. This guy doesn't remember why he ate his wife's face. The phone rings, and it's an unhinged, crazy person who's like, "Hi, Enid. I just wanted to tell you that you suck. I hate you. You let this movie come out. You're terrible. We're all gonna come get you. You're basically a monster. You might as well have killed those kids yourself. Good job." She gets a flashback to her dad being like, where's your sister? And her mom just like standing stuck still in the corner facing the wall in a creepy way. And keening and just like screw howling. Uh, and it is a really unfortunate. I mean, it's just like it's a bummer. And then boom, she's on the tube the next day. Uh, the, the, the And she's miserable and uh somebody's reading a newspaper about crime and this is the censor's fault and this murder was enid's fault it's basically might as well have a picture of enid with the, the yeah. ghostbusters red circle <laughs> slash through her it's like it's her fault she gets to her office she gets swamped by reporters who are like asking conflicting questions like how could you let this happen or why did you not cut more of the film or why why is this film banned and they just want to know like all scrum. the details and she doesn't have any she sits at her desk stock still and stares in the middle distance and this is when we meet gross doug <laughs> Oh, uh, uh, Doug. Uh, you know you know how we were like that other guy was the worst guy in the movie i vote gross doug mm, is gro is maybe grosser okay. no here's gross doug is arguably grosser but at least gross doug knows how awful he is and the other guy thinks he's 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 doing a really good job and he's making good cases while being terrible gross doug at least owns how disgusting he is and that gives him a slight edge on being less terrible gross doug is wearing the worst tie with boats <laughs> on it like he knows well here's yeah. the thing about doug he's gross <laughs> We know that he's gross. We don't know that he's Doug yet. Uh, he walks into Enid's boss's office, uh, not before I fucking the shit out of her. Like he's yeah. just like he might he might he might as well put on a pair of glasses to take off his glasses, <laughs> run them up and down the length of her body, and then be like, Whoa, chef kiss. All right, gross, gross, gross. Also, I would like to point out that like. Enid is dressed in a very conservative button-down way. She's got her hair that, like, no, no shade, no lemonade. Enid's an attractive woman for sure, but she's not. She is. She is absolutely tamping down every attractive aspect of herself as much as she possibly can. Oh, we cracker that. She's gorgeous. <laughs>
Doug likes to go for like the lobster. He wants to crack the shell and get to the meat inside or something. I don't know. That's a, oh, gross. I'm sorry I said it. That, I'm sorry. I You're that. a murderer. Okay, so no, Doug's, no. All, Doug's all buddy buddy with the boss, and Enid's like, "Now's a good time to take a break." Yeah. yeah. So she goes. She walks towards the break room, and she hears. Uh, uh, she hears not as gross but still pretty gross white guy sanderson basically like well i was always supposed to know that this bloody movie blah 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 even little miss perfect said it was okay and she opens the door and she makes a face like hey i heard you dicks talking about me and sanderson is just like well bye <laughs> and now yeah. and, and now it's her and uh other guy uh who uh, i didn't catch his name but he basically looks like british ricky j he does look like ricky j just a just a avuncular bearded gentleman who's basically the best he can offer up is well shit happens right i mean bad luck could have happened to any of us and then she's just like if she was holding a pencil it would have snapped she's like, i never make mistakes <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I can't stress enough, however, <laughs> that this actor, I, we are definitely portraying her I, I, just because it's one of the best performances I've seen, period. This actor is doing so much more than uptight censor lady. Oh, yeah. I, 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 I can't. Uh, her name is, uh, I, I want to say it's, uh, I should have written it down, Nev Algar, uh, and it's not pronounced the way that it's spelled because I think it's Gaelic, but uh, Nev Algar, uh, she is so good in this and definitely doesn't just, like you hear a kind of buttoned up sensor lady and you think like, uh, you know, like a Simpsons character, but she's just, man, she's good. She does a lot of very, very subtle face acting. Like there's, there's a scene coming up that I'll highlight where she just does like, there's just she just does a little bit of stuff like with her eyes and it conveys so much. Anyway, she's, she's tremendous. Genuinely. You can see like the gears turning in her head mm -hmm. or when something actually like ticks her off, like just very mm -hmm. slowly. And uh, there's uh, a um, ritual. The character goes through where she sits up straight and pulls her shoulders back. Yep. That she does to like, you know, recenter herself and get back into it. And it's just like the, way all of these little things build up build a really clear picture of mm -hmm. enid oh and i was going to say that like i mean the trajectory of the film is like her progressively like losing the plot and she does a very good gradual job of it it's not it's not a jack nicholson where it's like he's already insane at the start he just goes yep. more insane she really does that she really does like go from scene to scene in very in small enough increments that it really does feel like gradual, not like there's one thing that's like, I mean, there is a point where she basically does snap, but she's almost snapped by the time she gets there. It's just like the last thing to do, to do it. Taxi Driver was a movie I found myself thinking mm. about a lot when I watched this. But even then, it's just like when we meet Travis Bickle at the beginning of Taxi Driver, he's out of his fucking mind. Whereas, <laughs> you know, he's not holding down a government job or anything like that. He's just driving a car and looking wild-eyed. She really does descent into madness super good. I mean, at the beginning of the film, she really just seems like she needs to, like, relax just a like she needs she needs some time off she needs to go on a nice vacation maybe get her groove back or something she needs to go to one of those british holiday camps god no no she does not need to go to blackpool <laughs> she needs to go somewhere nice viva blackpool <laughs> <laughs> 
She's having uh, to go to the British seaside, which does not, which barely counts as a vacation. <laughs> Sorry, England. She's back at her desk. A gross dog comes out with her boss, Ugh. and he's like, "Hey, how about a job in the films? I could get you on the big screen." And she's like, "Please don't." rape me and chop me to bits i would like that and he's like but you're so hot well he actually so anyways so gross doug is doug smart uh which is not an apt an anti-dickensian name i would say although he is smartly attired except for his terrible tie uh he is a gross movie producer of gross movies and he says something really awful which is I'm not breaking a smile too. Just like smiling and just like, yeah, I think the public would really like it. <laughs> yep. And you're just like, oh, you son of a bitch. You disgusting son of a bitch. But he's bringing in a movie that's about to come out on video and he specifically wants Enid to watch it. This is an interesting thing actually about the film is that there's a lot of, well, multiple anyway, instances of Enid being specifically like known and referred to. And it's never explained how this happens or why, like why it happens, like why anybody knows who she is or is specifically requesting her. I mean, I guess, no, I guess that's after the news story comes out, I guess like they would know who she was because yeah. she was in the paper, but it's not, who knows who leaked that information. Yeah, he's just like, hey, it's an old Frederick North thing. Think you could slip me a 15? Because, like, <laughs> typically they're, like, rating between 15 and 18 or completely banned. Yes. So Enid now sits down in the uh, screening room with a viewing partner, and they begin to watch uh, Don't Go Into the Church. There aren't a lot of jokes in this movie. <laughs> nope. This is the one joke. And Enid gets to tell it. The movie's called Don't Go Into the Church. Uh, Don't Go in the Church. And she says, we're running out of places to go into. And this is a video nasty joke uh, for nerds. Uh, because on the list of video nasties, there are like five or six movies. There's it's like a lot. Don't go into the house. Don't go into the woods. Don't go into the basement. Yeah. Don't uh, go in the park. This is all... Very wonderfully parodied, actually, by uh, Edgar Wright in his short uh, for Grindhouse, right. his yep. uh, fake trailer, Don't. Which may be the only good part of Grindhouse. Uh, Thanksgiving. Oh. Eli, Eli Ross Thanksgiving is also very good. Oh, come now. Oh, come on. Are you a pro-death proof person? I am a pro-death proof person. I, think I need to watch it again. I think... Not not so much the first half of not so much the first reel or whatever of Death Proof, but I feel like the second half of Death Proof is a very well done taught piece of cinema. I need to see it again. The problem I've is I've only seen it once myself. Yeah. The problem is is that I saw things that will shock nobody. I saw Grindhouse opening day <laughs> and I was like I was prepared for just like a garbage wallow. Uh Planet Terror garbage wallow all of the Absolutely. trailers garbage wallows and then death proof is like a movie <laughs> it uses sure. grindhouse tropes to be a real movie and i think when i saw it i was like this is not grindhouse so i need i need to see it again but i will say overall as a three and a half hour experiment grindhouse is kind of not a success I feel like I'm not going out on a limb to say that. Oh, I, I mean, I don't, I, do, I mean, I don't really, I don't think Planet Terror is particularly good. Nope. I don't but think it's, it's worth it's fun. Uh, 
here's the thing is that Josh, you and I come from very different backgrounds cinematically. I don't have a frame of reference for any of this. So Planet Terror, I was like, well, yeah, this is gross out horror. I've seen gross out horror. It's not exceptional or interesting gross out horror. And then, you know, Death Proof is a Tarantino thing. And at the at the time, I was still very much into the Tarantino jam. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this is this is this thing, new thing he's starting. Like, I guess what? Grindhouse came up before Inglorious Bastards, yes? Yep. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So I was like, all right, he's doing this ratcheting tension thing that he kind of started doing in Kill Bill. And then Inglorious Bastards is basically just, you know, a bunch of set pieces of like ratcheting up tension. And he's very, he got very good at that kind of thing as opposed to like the talky, jokey Tarantino thing he was doing before. And it's, Kind of transitional, and I appreciated that. Yeah. But also, I've only seen it once. Inglorious Bastards, another great movie about the power of movies. I would watch Censor and Inglorious Bastards together. I think that would be a fun and very long double feature. Not Censor's fault, though. No. Censor, a cool 83 minutes. Beautiful. Beautiful. All uh, movies should be under 90 minutes. I mean, a lot of movies should be under Most. 90 minutes. Most all definitely you should have to make a case for your movie being more than 90 minutes before a panel of, uh, of experienced cinema goers come a malignant. So, you know, <laughs> when like Michael Bay comes in, you just automatically tell him to just turn around and leave. Cause it's a no. When Wes Anderson comes in, you're like, Mr. Anderson, you didn't even have to show up. It's a yes. It's always going to be a yes. And that's my aesthetic. Thank you. And good night. There you go. I well, do I think uh, don't go in the church is a cool five minutes. Maybe. <laughs> it seems like it. So, uh, so we watch the movie, and oh no's basically from the little breadcrumb flashbacks we've gotten of Enid and her sister's disappearance, we see that this movie is a second for second recreation of Enid's worst nightmares. Yes, it's close enough to what actually happened that it is extremely upsetting for her. We actually see her kind of going back and forth. She's watching the movie, but then she sees herself and her sister, and that sort of uh, gets uh, conflated in her head. The movie younger sister has to go to a spooky shack. The older sister's like, do it, play the game, summon my shadow. She spins and counts, and that's mm. the trigger for Enid's flashback. And yep. then there's like the intercut things, and the other one has to go into the church, and the older one follows by grabbing an axe, and then just Hacking her into pieces. Yep. Okay. Here's my hot take on don't go into the church. This is the first five minutes. That's a shack. It's not the church. The church is in the presumably the other 85 plus minutes we never saw. Uh, I thought they were just calling a wood shack a church. I do not think that those five minutes are the entirety of go go into the church. I, Corey, I was a little, I was, and I've watched it twice now, but I was a little confused because the two sisters look a little similar and the older sister walks in with the axe, but also there's a beast man. Yeah. At the end, mm -hmm. beast man is there. Yeah. Beast man is from Doug Smart's crap. Yes. It's also confusing because of the memory flashbacks that are cut in. Yes. So there's like four girls who all look kind of similar. What we are to believe is that the younger sister goes into the shack, the older sister follows in with an ex, and a murder happens. And gives her 40-ish 40, 40 or so wax, yes. I am now going to ask the question, and this is something we can think about and discuss throughout. Did Enid kill her sister? I, my, my take on it is that Enid did not kill her sister, but Enid on an emotional and psychological level feels like she did. 
because she allowed her sister through presumably her own inaction or callousness to be taken and presumably murdered and she feels culpable for it and so she may as well may as well have i do not believe that enid actually took an axe to her sister it seems entirely out of character aside from aside from the end of the film right <laughs> my proposition is that enid and her sister saw don't go in the church when they were really young and tried to recreate part of it hmm. at least the summoning huh that's interesting but you also do not think that enid murdered her sister or do you I don't think she had a reason to, but that's yeah. never clear. And I think yeah. like the first three minutes of the film where they're having a discussion about the nature of film is where that comes in. Cause like there's the demand to actually see what happened and then mm. it's denied. I think you could make a case either way, honestly. The only question I have about your theory is I don't know if they could have seen don't go into the church because this happened. A th the kidnapping happened a thousand million years ago. Right. We don't know when Don't Go Into the Church came out. I think on the reel, it might have said 71, but I don't know why I think that. Okay. Yeah. But it's, yeah. it's more that um, the the movie is based on a true story. So it's, it yes. could still yeah. be like it's hard, it's hard to say. A Candyman situation. Yeah. It feels <laughs> like the movie happened after the kidnapping and that's where gross Doug got it from anyways i don't think enid did it either because i think uh enid is a perfectionist and very uh fastidious i don't know if 10 year old enid could have hit a body so well nobody could find it granted very practical it's a very practical thought but uh but i like anna i like your theory a lot that she basically for all intents and purposes believes that she's a murderer yeah that's the important thing regardless of whether she is or not the axe murder happens in the movie, and thankfully we don't see it, but Enid sure does, and she runs into the other room and uh, bathroom and chunders like there's no tomorrow. Here's the thing about movie vomit that I have strong feelings about, which is that, and I, under, I understand why this happens, I understand the difficulties, is that movie vomit like is never done well, for the <laughs> most part, because... The amount of the amount of fake vomit an actor can hold in their mouth is by no means commensurate to the amount of uh, vomit you can hold in your stomach and then puke up. So it basically always looks like they're sp like spitting out like a mouthful of orange juice or something. And I'm always like, that's not enough vomit. So it's the equivalent of the the decapitation scene in in ridiculousness. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, well, that that's ridiculous. That's not what vomit. So looks you're like. saying it's like a 14A situation? Like you would rate that a 15? I would rate that PG. Um, <laughs> listen, listen, it's no Team America World Police. I, that's what I was thinking of, that's and I real, hated that so that's much. That's a real vomit. Or any or any John – I feel like John Waters' vomit is very good. That guy understands. You don't get called the Prince of Puke for nothing. If you're not – listen, if you're not holding a tube beside their mouth where you can't see it and spewing a bunch of vomit into the toilet, I'm not there for it. If it's just a like, pwah, nope, not – you just I immediately I'm like, well, that's not real vomit. And then I have to then I have to suspend my disbelief all over again. <laughs> In censor's defense of their uh, depiction of vomiting, it is perfectly possible that Enid just didn't have a lot in her system to begin with. I guess. I mean, it's early morning. She may have just had some coffee. A spot of tea and a Jaffa cake. Jaffa cake, not Jaffa. <laughs> yeah. Jaffa. Yeah. Jaffa cake. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm part Swedish, everyone. Listen, I never told hey, anybody. Listen. 
we we know quite well that that Enid did not have access to Jaffa cakes in this film. It's no one has Jaffa point. cakes. There's like a, a run on at the store or something. Fucking like that. Thatcher! It's, that, it's Thatcher. <laughs> Thatcher's goddamn God. fault. So she she emerges sweaty and pale from the bathroom, and her coworker, yep. who she was Perkins. reviewing the films with, with reviewing the film with, is there, and he's like, "Oh, it's all right. If you ever need anyone to talk to, my mom died." um it was sad i was sad i am i'm sad sometimes uh do you want to go out i'm gonna say this he's a nice fellow he's the only nice he may be the only nice man in this movie he he is a nice man i don't disagree however and this is like maybe my favorite piece of acting that the actress does she he he's being comforting and then he does the guy thing of being like you know now that we're connecting would you like to bone I mean, that's not obviously not what he's doing, but you just see like this connection, like disappear from her eyes where she just looks really like she's just like, oh, it's this thing. This is what this is now. And it's just really sad. And it's a really nice piece of acting. It's a beautiful moment. I gently disagree that Mm -hmm. she is kind of tuning out of her own brain because he asked her out for a drink. Okay. Because what happens is she finishes puking. He's like, hey, are you okay? If you ever want to talk, blah, blah, blah. You know, my mom passed away and I, it was great when I had people to talk to. And she then goes, what's the deal with the amnesiac killer? <laughs> yep. And then he's like, well, from my days as a psychotherapist, I remember that there could be a lot of reasons for someone suppressing trauma or maybe they get hit in the head and can't remember. And I used to be a doctor and now I work for a film rating board. Let's not talk about that. And now maybe a drink. And I feel like Enid kind of goes away because she got the information she needed about repressed memories and is just like, I am now done with this part of the conversation. I'm not sure she even hears that guy ask her out. It felt like to me, like she was like, oh, you weren't really being nice. You just wanted to ask me out. But I might be bringing my own baggage. She would have this conversation whether or not he was there. Well, he's like, can we go for a drink? And her face goes flat. And then she just kind of like pulls herself together. And it's like, I'm sorry about your mom. And then she leaves. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, she was paying attention and kind of engaged, but she is definitely shutting people out of yeah, contact. Yeah. And it might not be because she's disappointed. It might just it might just be because she's like, oh, other like, I can't let anybody else into this hellscape. Are you nuts? This isn't a conversation about the amnesiac killer. Time to go. Yeah, it's a... <laughs> I think we're all sort of, I think we're all sort mm. of right. I, there's a bunch of different things, but I just, I feel like she wasn't ever really part of this conversation in the first place. She just wanted to be like, let's talk about the amnesiac killer because I can't remember what happened to my sister. Not, hey, I just threw up. Maybe don't ask me out right now. Yeah. <laughs> so she's more Jake Gyllenhaal and Zodiac. You know what, folks? Let's just put this out there. If someone's just thrown up and is in an emotional state, don't ask them out for a drink. That's It's fine. Next next day, maybe you can be like, hey, that was crazy. Remember that when you threw up? Anyways, you want to throw up again? Well, I got an idea. Alcohol makes you throw up. Josh? Hey, what's up? It's really lucky that you found a woman who who would marry you. That's not my game. <laughs> I don't know what I mean. I did win this. I did. Woman. I did witness, I witnessed this at a college party once. We don't have to include this, but I watched my roommate 
throw up over the side of a uh, of a railing, and then the gal who was standing next to him wiped his mouth for him, and they started making out. That's that the was... worst story I've heard in so long. College. <laughs> I I hate I hate that I, I hate that I got to picture that. That was terrible. <laughs> that was terrible. Oh. But oh, you know what, Anna, you'll appreciate this. <laughs> Will I? Before she wiped his mouth and started making out, she was like, oh, that seemed like the uh, right amount of vomit to come out of a person. Usually in movies, it's like not enough. But that was like, uh, that was a real quality vomit. I'm surprised you didn't bring that up earlier when it was a little bit more salient. Uh, Enid goes home from work, walking down the pedestrian walkway to, I guess, the tube station. And she hears like whimpering down the oh, hallway. Yeah. And she turns off into a creepy dark tunnel and then disappears into blackness. I think this is my favorite scene in the movie. It's the lynchiest scene in the movie. Oh, and there's an amazing cam there's a fucking amazing camera move where she's walking towards the camera and it pans to show the dark corridor and it leaves her behind and then she re-enters it. It's so good. I love this scene and it doesn't have to it doesn't have to make sense or make have anything to do with anything i just like it there is definitely a question and it, it more and more as the movie uh continues there are a lot of scenes of enid just sort of taking a turn into the void region mm. and then she just is somewhere else and it's hard mm -hmm. to ascertain if like the next thing is even happening or if it's happening in her head and there's so many scenes where it's like a flashback and then it's the next day like something else is happening. Yep. Yeah. She goes home and she's chatting with her mom and she's staring at the death certificate. And she's like, hey, mom, I watched a movie today. And the mom's like, oh, what's it about? And Edith's like, nothing. It's dumb. I, it's a dumb movie. I really wonder how much her parents understand about her job. That they're like, oh, did you see something fun today? I'm like, you know, you know, my job is to watch horrible violence and decide what needs to be cut, right? So either her parents are really into video nasties, which would be hilarious, or they just don't really get it, which is also hilarious. They're not. Um, yeah, and she, and this is actually important because it's either in this conversation or the previous phone conversation she had with her mom because it was like, oh no, I think it's at the dinner scene. Yeah. Where she's like, well, have you seen anything nice? And it's like, it's not my job to see nice things. I'm protecting people. Yeah. And this time, yeah. like, she's like, I'm sorry, tired, overworked, busy at work. And her mom's like, don't let that happen. You can't be responsible for everyone. It's just a job. That's good advice she should probably take. She's curled up uh, asleep with uh, what looks to be maybe her childhood diary, I think. Some like, sort of journal about yeah. her sister's disappearance. Yeah. But she's woken up by the sound of incredibly loud static. Uh, and she walks down and her TV's mm. got glorious, analog, beautiful 1980s static on it. A thing that I miss very much. Do we need to explain what that is for our younger listeners? Well, you see, back in the day, they used to stop broadcasting TV at certain hours. TV, you say? What's, what, is that like streaming? I now this is amazing because I actually realized that like I know what static TV static looks like. I don't mm -hmm. actually know how to define it. It basically looks like what white noise sounds like. Oh no, I get that, but I don't know why it looks like that in the first. I don't know what oh, causes hmm. a televisual and audiovisual static in the first place. That's a little thing I can learn later. But anyways, <laughs> hey kids, just look up static 
and it don't go don't follow any results for static x they suck um just <laughs> it's just static or read the first paragraph of neuromancer i guess perfect like, well kids when a cathode ray tube doesn't have a signal but there's an electrical charge in it from its giant ass capacitors that could kill you if you touch them uh then you know you get random noise on the tv bunch of black and white spotty spotty shoes that's how HBO original programming starts. Yes, you're right. It is. <laughs> wow. There we go. Problem solved. And now you don't have to even worry about accidentally listening to Static X. Yeah. So she sticks her face too close to the TV and the static resolves into a forest at night. She's outside the church yelling for her sister. Or maybe it's just a woods shack and not a church at all. Uh, and then the beast man is tromping around through puddles nearby. Well, it's spooky and dreamlike. Uh, she opens her. She opens her hand in the movie. Uh, in the movie that she's watching in this dream world, because we're seeing little Enid, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. She has something mm-hmm. in her hand. She opens it, and it's Enid's notes from watching "Don't Go into the Woods" and a lock of her sister's red hair. Mm. And then we pull back, and Enid is watching this on her TV and it's very obvious that we are in the dream space. She sees her mom in the other room and her mom turns around the only jump scare in the movie. It actually works. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it works. Uh, Jump scares don't always work on me, but this one does. Uh, She turns around and shouts your fault. (laughs) It is all your fault. I would would argue shrieks even. It's on par with like, the nasty mom abuse scenes from Moonlight. Like, it's just like a parent screaming at her child. It's yeah, it's horrible. Yeah, it's bad. I should see Moonlight. And now Enid's back at work, and she's watching British Itchy and Scratchy, I think. <laughs> I think it's Felix the Cat. She's not really engaged with it. The cat's on, like, a conveyor belt to a guillotine. The blah, blah, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Um, who cares? The only thing that I was wondering was, are they actually watching this to rate it? Or are they watching it just because, like, oh, man, we've seen 72 disembowelings today. We got to watch some kitty, some kitty cartoons. Except that the cat's about to be chopped up by a guillotine. Yeah. But, like, for fun, for kids, you know, for kids. Ian goes into the records room uh, and is looking for information about uh, Frederick directing guy, uh, the director of Don't Go in the Church. The Boy, there are a lot of shitty characters in this movie, not (laughs) poorly acted or written, but just, like, horrible human beings. And the records keeper lady is one of them. The very definition of a woman who believes, or a person who believes, that if they didn't do their job, the world would literally fucking stop turning. And in this case, this woman just sits in a room full of old films and folders and is like, I run the UK. I'm in charge of all of it. Ireland, Scotland, Wales, London... It's me, the yeah. record keeper lady. Enid's like, we just watched this Frederick North thing. Don't go in the church. Do you have other information about the director? And the lady's like, well, do you have a list of stuff about the director? Because if you don't, it's going to take a week. It's like, did you literally do my job for me? No. Well, then fuck you. She specifically asked, like, I'm going to need a list of titles. And it, it kind of blew my mind when I realized, like, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. There's no way in 1980 fuck when I, whatever year this takes place in that like, oh, I need a list of all of Frederick North's titles. Oh, that's going to take me months. How will you I even be, be able, able to, to do find that? A book. 
you might be able to find a book. You might be able to find like a Roger Ebert book or something. Or you would have to go look at microfiche. That's the one yep. thing that's in this. I would have been happy if this movie was seven minutes longer, if it had included seven minutes of Enid doing microfiche searches. My favorite thing. I love a good microfiche search. You've been extremely happy if not only had it been a microfiche search, but she was looking at ads for movies playing in various British theaters. I think oh. that would have been the cake and director cut, right? There. Oh, you know what? I'm going to do that tonight, I think. I'm going to go on newspapers.com and just look up old movie ads. That's like my favorite thing to do now. That's what the <laughs> pandemic's done to me. It's, I mean, you do find some nice ones. I wonder what was playing at a theater in Connecticut in 1972. Oh, that. All right. Well, now I know that. <laughs> anyway. Enid leaves work on time. Oh, yeah. And her coworkers are like, leaving on time, Enid? You dick. Boo. Well, it's more like for once in your life, you're usually the last one here and you shut everything down. Now someone else is going to have to be responsible for that. Also true. Enid goes to a video store and video stores back a in. Uh, yeah, shut up. Back in the day. <laughs> it is important to remember that in the pre uh, blockbuster video days, video stores were fucking disgusting. Not because they were like all porn and shit, but they were just like. Gross. They were real because they were just like sketchy. Like some sketchy guy is like, I've got a hundred tapes. I'll open a store. Yeah. This one's called like Gerald's video. And there's like a dad and kid leaving the store. And the kid's like, oh yeah, Beastman's the coolest. I love Beastman so much. And it's just like, that's movies not for kids. <gasps> so Enid goes in and super sleuthily checks the movies that are on the the shelf and there's one that's well really weird called the uh, the day everything began or something the day the world began and it looks like a shitty like almost christiany family mm. film and it's just like a perfect happy family and perfect happy house and a big rainbow over the top mm. put a pin in it what do we think Enid's doing in the video store though like what do you think her original intent is in going in there to rent a movie yeah just just something nice no, she's doing. No. She's doing. She's doing legwork to find Fed Frederick North movies. Yeah, this is really directly connected to her being denied okay. the list of films that, or information at work. It just seems like a little bit random that she stumbles. She stumbles into this video store where she can like force the video store man to do her bidding. Like I said, with the Streisand effect of the video nasties. This list of 72 movies, many of which are just absolute garbage. Everybody wanted to see every single one of them. So every video store was doing brisk under the table business. And I think Enid as a censor would be aware of this. That's fair. Look forward to our new podcast where we watch all 72 video nasties in alphabetical order called Video Besties. Absolutely not. <laughs> Good news. There are plenty of dorks doing this. <laughs> you want to hear about the video nasties go literally anywhere we're not going to do it i there's just so much nazi exploitation i don't i can't i can't okay here's this this is extremely funny to me you sent the link to the to the list and i happen to be on the site where i where i torrent my movies and literally one of the movies on there i had just scrolled past <laughs> 
How amazing. Which one? <laughs> it was like, Last orgy of the SS or something. Oh, yeah. Wow. I'm not gonna... <laughs> I'd scroll and I clicked on it and I'm like, really? And I was like, I'm not watching this. This looks terrible. If I'm not mistaken, that's one of the 10 movies that is that never, never got to be a real live boy in the UK again. Well, hey, UK, here's your chance. It's up on Torrent Sites right oh, now. Yeah. Check it out. So Enid's in the video store and she overhears the conversation between another, a punter and the clerk. And the punter is, uh, well, it's British, British slang in it. Um, the, the, a nice young punk lady comes in to return a movie and is like, hey, Joey, this was a sweet movie. I love all the gore. Bye. And I think she said the name of it. So Enid yeah. goes up and she's like, hey, you got any more like that? Because, by the way, that movie is definitely banned. Do you have other banned? And he's like, oh, what's a nice girl <laughs> like you Won't with a movie like this love in it? I'd like to do some crimes, but first I'd like to hear about other crimes that people have done previously to wet my whistle. And Enid then goes into disquieting. She's, he's like, you don't watch movies like this. And she's like, well, actually, I really loved this one scene from this one movie where, uh, you know, there's needles and blah, blah, blah. Wears his stomach like a hat. Intestines. Yeah, exactly. And the guy's like, shit, you're legit. Okay. <laughs> Let me go into my closet and give you this paper bag. Also, you have a really weird vibe and I'm not, not really into it. And I'd like you to leave my store. Like there's been police raids and stuff. So I was already planning to get rid of this. So it's fine if you just take it. And this is absolutely true. They were closing down video stores and sex shops fucking left and right without any problem barely any provocation all they needed to hear was just like oh i heard from somebody that somebody rented something here and it's just like we're going in with baseball bats we're knocking it all down terrible Ugh. anyway enid gets a movie and it is called asunder which is a great fake title <laughs> yes it appears to be people dead. It's cheesy, summoning, schlocky. Like it looks a little like a softcore porn. Like, mm. oh, hey, don't do the evil ritual summoning, or else we'll have to the sex with a demon. Maybe I don't know. The screaming later. <laughs> but Enid clocks the lead actress in it, a actor by the name of Alice Lee, and rewinds and pauses and rewinds and pauses and rewinds and pauses like a totally normal person would. Mm -hmm. And uh, she believes that this woman, Alice Lee, is her sister. There's a line that's playing during the, the mm. rewind. It's uh, the evil is contagious. Right. And then she goes, she uh, takes the, vi the video box and she peels the sticker off the back with some of the best Foley I've heard in my entire life. And looks at Alice Lee's blood spattered face and like, yeah, this is, this is perfect. This is and then, <laughs> and then in one of the all time great scenes of cinema of somebody trying to convince people of something and failing miserably, <laughs> Enid goes to her parents who hate her. Like, I think we can just be real clear about this, that Enid's parents hate her so much and is like, Hey mom and dad. Good news. Oh, you've got the boyfriend. No. <laughs> oh, they hate her so much that her mom's pretending that she can't find the Jaffa cakes. That's the real mystery in this movie that needs to be solved. <laughs> Where are the Jaffa cakes? 
Oh, weird. <laughs> Stuffing them down her shirt. Mm, I swear they were around here somewhere. Her dad's sitting alone in the living room, stone-faced in front of a picture <laughs> of her and her sister. <laughs> That's just how expensive days. I hate you. I decided to sit behind this spooky picture of you and your sister just so you had to look at it when you look at me because I fucking hate you. Do you have a boyfriend? No. Okay, what's the news? And it's like, hey, good news. I found my sister. And they're like, again. And you get the sense that like Enid would be walking down the street and would find like a piece of pen, like a, a, a penny with a piece of red yarn stuck to it. And like, guys, I found my sister. They're like, no, that's a penny with a piece of yarn stuck to it. Doesn't this dog look like my sister? It's her. I found her. They're like, please, this is why we get the death certificate. We just want it to be over. And then... And then she takes out the the VHS case and shows them this terrible bloody picture of the actress Alice Lee with half of her face peeled off by the sticker that was over it. She and she might as she might as well have just walked in with like a piece of notebook paper with dog shit smeared on it and gone <laughs> irrefutable proof my sister is alive you gotta look close get your nose right in in it put your nose right in it dad and then her dad's just real classy with the comeback like you're always doing whatever you want going out and doing things just like that time you took your sister to the woods and lost her (laughs) how dare you you should be sitting at home quietly thinking about what you did and so she cries on the ride home she just drives home and cries And then she goes home and she is asleep with the static ETV in the background and the static lets us know that it's time for another trip to Nightmareland. This is my favorite shot in the movie. The camera pans across Enid's period appropriate red shag carpet. And then that just bloop, bloop, bloops into the floor of spooky forest lit with spooky red lights. So it all looks the same. My note here was this movie rules. It's just such a good transitional shot. Mm-hmm. I love it. We haven't really highlighted like in talking about it, how a lot, like the majority of the the film, at least in the first half or so is lit in this very like stark sort of blue lighting. And will occasionally when, when shit is happening, transition to different colors of lighting, predominantly red arguably like an easy thing to do for mood but it works really very well no it isn't because malignant (laughs) listen i haven't seen malignant i have i don't know how well they nail their bisexual lighting they don't they don't do a good job that's pink and blue my reference is blood and black lace which is the perfect bisexual lighting movie God, that that movie is lit so well. But if you don't oh. want to see murders, see Hercules in the Haunted World. Um, anyways, I do want to see uh, baby Nina is spinning in the forest with her wellies on. That's the sister. And her white gown. And she transforms into adult Nina, the actress, Alice Lee, who's smiling. And then the beast man's there. No. And they go in the spooky shack. And Enid Uh-oh. is like, well... That's all the proof I need. My my fucking insane brain told me that that. So there you go. I am genuinely surprised that the next scene is not Enid going back to her parents and being like, "Okay, I know you didn't believe the fucked up VHS case, but what's important is that you know that I also had a dream." 
That's true. Instead, she goes uh, to work and raids film storage to find the can that has the film for Don't Go in the Church. And yep, she yes. scribbles the address down in her hand and then hides from her coworkers. And now she's out walking to scuzzy producer Doug Smart's house. And he lives at number 13. He does live at number 13, which is delicious. <laughs> which made me so happy. <laughs> and she just rando cold knocks on his door and he opens the door wearing a really fucking awesome bathrobe. He's a bad person. He's got a crowbar because he's been harassed about his films. <laughs> and he's got a lovely poster of Beastman right there in the doorway for you to look I'm at. I'm honestly surprised nobody's like written like murder and red paint on the front of his house or something. He makes a face like Christmas morning, like, oh, my God, this never happens. I was super uh, sexually gross to this woman at her place of work. And now here she is on my doorstep. Wanting to have sex with me. Probably. To be fair, he goes through a few phases of like, what's going on? This is weird. I'm kind of freaked out. And he's like, eh, I guess I'll go with it. Yeah. Hey, free lady. Come on in, free lady. <laughs> never, never look a gift lady in the mouth. <laughs> Enid uh, walks around his uh, let's just call it it's weird it's a weird place but also I would live there I would have <laughs> oh yeah it's nice so what you're telling me is that it is a place filled with uh, garbage movie posters mid-century kitschy bric-a-brac and a lot of scotch I would live there right now <laughs> Josh are you telling me you don't live there right now I I think you would be surprised. I think you'd be surprised to know that I live in a relatively normal person apartment. <laughs> I am a little surprised. To know She's that. like, oh, the desk you have in the other room looks really super familiar. Oh, right. I just watched that rape scene of Extreme Coda. And he's like, clever girl. Wow. You've got a wonderful eye for detail. Here, I have some scotch. There's no roofies in this, I swear. It's shocking that there probably weren't. It Hard hadn't been invented yet, probably. I just assumed there were going to be. I think, I think back in the early 80s, roofies was just scotch. Oh, just as much scotch as you could get the person to drink. Yes, here. Oh, here. But welcome to my home. Please enjoy this traditional bucket of scotch that I give to all my female visitors. I've seen a fair amount of giallo, and that does actually seem to be true. You know what the thing is? It's scotch. It's great. The weaker sex are all lightweights. You know. Enid clocks a picture of Alice Lee on the uh, on the coffee table, uh, but let's be honest, it's a scotch table, uh, and uh, and she's like, "Oh, Alice Lee, yeah, her and I look pretty similar, don't you think?" Gross Doug and Gross Doug, <laughs> Gross Doug is just running through all of the positions in a one night stand as outlined <laughs> in that Prince song. He's like, "Yeah, sure, whatever you say, things, I guess." Uh, I thought you looked familiar. Isn't that interesting? Why aren't we having sex? Um, <laughs> he grabs an award off the shelf behind her in a really close and gross way. And it's a weird award. It's got like a man holding an axe. He's like, all my awesome movies have won awards. Look at this beautiful award that I have. I've been to America several times, you know. I'm a real world traveler. Show off. <laughs> you know, America, it's like England, but not as bad. Arguably. Are you, well... At this point, at that particular juncture, <laughs> I, I, have, I have to say the Reagan era was a little easier on the U.S. than Thatcherism was on Britain. 
Uh, I mean, I've got a pile of AIDS victims about 60,000 miles high. You know what? You know what? I take it fully back. There's this quilt. Fully back. Nope. Nope. You've made, sir, you've made your sale. (laughs) It was bad. It was a different kind of bad because on the outside, it was like 19, we're back. The 50s are back, everybody. We're doing it. Ron and Nancy, (laughs) mom and dad, we got this. It is not. There will never be another pandemic again. (laughs) A person could go into a video store and rent a copy of Asunder without getting arrested. You know, it is really interesting, right, that for all of the shitty conservative things that the Reagan era had, we never quite went as far as to be like, and that's why all of these movies have to be re-edited to be out on video. I remember some of my earliest scarring memories uh, were like me going into a video store and wandering into the horror section and just being like, oh, just seeing the covers. Yeah, just seeing the covers. Yeah, I was scrolling down the list of video nasties uh, on, I think, Wikipedia, and it mentioned, like, Basket Case, and I just remembered the cover. Mm. Like, whoa. Videos had covers in those days. Not like now, when it's all just people's heads on a red background. (laughs) Um, Where the fuck are... Oh, um, Doug is just like, check out my awards. Look at all this scotch. Look at all my posters. Oh, I'll, oh, Alice Lee. You want to talk about Alice Lee? Okay. Well, this Drink is going. This is going to be her last movie. We've got something real exciting planned for her. <laughs> probably murder. We're probably going to murder her. She's reached the end of her shelf life. <laughs> if you know what I mean. What we understand is that Doug is gross, and he's just like she's too old to be in my my skin flick murder rape movies anymore. <laughs> Maybe she turned him down. <laughs> But Enid's like, what are you doing to my sister who you've kidnapped? And he's like, how about I kidnap you? With my penis. Enough of not fucking. This has been been the longest five minutes of my life. I, I don't have a problem with you fucking me, but I don't have a problem with you not fucking me. <laughs> Big old dirty bastard fan, Doug. Uh, and uh, Enid is like, hey, weird. I don't want to have sex with you. I don't want to have sex with anybody ever. <laughs> that is the vibe. <laughs> and he's like, boo, prick tease. They tussle. And, uh, and uh, Corey? He falls backwards onto the coffee table. And I was like, oh, no, he's been stabbed in the back by his award. But no, then they very carefully show us that he has, in fact, gotten the award through the back of his neck, which has come out his mouth. And he sits there and gurgles and dies while she watches. It's like a combination of like the end of Hot Fuzz and that scene in The Simpsons where Lisa imagines impaling Bart on her Nobel Peace Prize. The movie has had no actual in-universe gore up until this point. Uh, and uh, it's uh, it's real goofy. Keep it in mind because like it's it's like it's not particularly I mean, it is definitely bloody and gross. It's not scary. And mm. it's so extreme as to be a little purposefully a little mm. doofy. Yeah. It's almost not worth saying, but it's clearly intending to vo- evoke the style of violence and your video nasty. Like, oh, 100 percent. It's barely worth even saying. It's so text. <laughs> Enid straightens her shoulders mm. in a absolutely fucking chilling. Mo- like, and it's amazing because the guy getting the thing through his head, not scary. 
Enid taking a deep breath and like doing a back adjustment to get on with the rest of her day. Fucking terrifying. She then drinks all of the scotch in the United Kingdom, excuses herself and goes about her merry business. Her business is probably to go home and have a shower. Uh, She's like huddled up on the couch, wrapped in a towel later. The phone rings. It's harassment guy. But this time she puts the phone down instead of back on the receiver. And you can hear him saying stuff that is from the movie and past Mm. conversations she's had. Yeah. And we push in on the static ETV and now... I would like to say that I, as the viewer, even on the second viewing, at this point, I can't vouch for what is real and what isn't. Because the language of the movie up until this point has told us that if Enid is sleeping or at Mm. least in a restful position and the TV is filled with static and we push in on the TV, we're going into a dream world. There's about a half hour of the movie left and I can't rightly say what actually happens and what i mean there is one there is a bunch of stuff that i know that doesn't happen mm-hmm. stuff that does happen i'm not 100 percent sure on i think the intent is to show that enid has lost her ability to distinguish between sure any of that so it's i mean and since the the film is effectively from enid's point of view except like right at the end basically um I think that the, I mean, the point is that we're not supposed to know. Like there's some stuff that is obviously like has, like narratively must, must have to have have to happen for the rest of it to happen. But like her, the way she perceives it is certainly questionable. Mm -hmm. She's back at the office wandering through the hallways in kind of a labyrinthine way and things are offset and there's like murmuring Mm -hmm. you can hear. She opens up a door to one of the viewing rooms and two of her coworkers are like, Hey, we're trying to we're trying to work in here. And on the screen is one of the Beastman movies, but it's got Alice Lee in it, and she's screaming like, mm. Save me, save me. <laughs> and that right. of course like gets all of Enid's attention. She's like, Yeah, of course, I have to save you. She does the same thing my dad used to do, is that she like walks in while other people are trying to watch TV and just stands there and watches, but is like it's like, Are you gonna come in or are you going out? Like, what are you doing? What a jerk. <laughs> this was annoying. <laughs> And then and then he'd go into the woods and murder some people. <laughs> uh, Enid's co-worker, so fucking irritating. Uh, Sanderson, after Enid leaves the room, because Sanderson is like, we're working here, Enid. And it's like, all right, I'm going to go disassociate somewhere else. And uh, Sanderson's like, someone's losing the plot. And then we never see him again. Thank fucking Thank God. God. He's gross. <laughs> Thanks for explaining the movie, Sanderson. Uh, she goes into the records room and takes information about Frederick North and the lady who works in the records room is basically like Enid might as well have just walked in and ripped her throat out. <laughs> just taking a shit on the floor. Yeah. For the reaction that records lady said, my precious records. And Enid's I don't think like, you have approval for that. <laughs> and Enid's just like, Listen. everything's great guys. Don't worry. She's like, it's fine. I'm allowed to do this. So, when when she was talking to to gross doug before before he got accidentally murderized uh he mentioned that they were shooting the that they were shooting a a, a combined sequel to the beastman movies and don't go in the church that was going to be alice lee's last movie because sequels are all the rage and she asked where it was being filmed and he's like in the woods where we filmed the other one so 
this is a thing that I find weird, but the file appears to have like enough information that she can figure out where in the woods the, the he, film he was says filmed. It's so by she can go there. Frederick his North's house. place. Yeah. Oh god. And so it. she okay. gets his address from the records. Right. But that, so that's yeah, that's the reason why she's skulking around and stealing bots. <laughs> she should really be like, you mean this file that you said it was gonna take a week to find that I found in 30 seconds? Fuck you. Fuck you, I'm doing your job for you now. I hate you, records lady. You're worse than Sanderson. No, you're not. I take it back. Well, you file something. This was something I didn't catch the first time around, but Enid is charging out of the office with her information. She passes two other co-workers, and one of them's like, yeah, it's crazy. The guy, uh, the right. guy, the amnesia killer said he never even saw that movie. Oopsies. He remembers not seeing the movie. Yeah, that's the one thing he remembers. <laughs> I thought that was a nice touch to be like to just to show like how ridiculous the whole thing was is that they were making this connection that didn't even exist. Right. Which is yes. very like seems very true to life. She passes another million reporters who I guess just live outside of her office. <laughs> right. And at that point, because I don't know what's real and what isn't, I'm not mm. sure if they're there. I agree that they are very likely not there. Or they heard that the amnesia killer had never seen the movie. And or, or they were reporting the on how it was not the censor's fault. Or they're breaking the news that Enid goes to video stores like a normal horrible person and rents things that come in paper bags. Enid's watching uh, Don't Go Into the Woods at Home, I think, or at least a movie of that ilk. She's watching something where people are in the woods and then it turns mm -hmm. into a real woods location, which she is driving through. And she approaches a spooky hair and makeup trailer. Yeah, it's night. She gets out of the car. There's distant screaming in the woods, which kind of spooks her. Yep. And then she turns around and there's a creepy lady looking at her through the window of the trailer. So she has to pick up the biggest rock she can. <laughs> she needs a crushing rock just in case. I That to me, because it's not like Debbie, who is the hair and makeup lady, she is staring spookily, but she's not doing anything Murderable? No. She is my favorite character in this entire movie. Debbie definitely knows she's in a horror movie and definitely knows what her role is supposed to be and definitely knows how many pauses she needs to make in between saying useful things to make people nervous. She just quietly walks up with her lipstick and her cigarette and her perfectly coiffed hair and she's like, you're late. You're here to play the sister, right? You don't look anything like your picture, but come on in. None of the other cast showed up. This whole production's a mess. Let's get you into costume. I hate you. <laughs> I have contempt for all of humankind, but especially you. And then she has to like continue issuing very simple orders because Enid's just like completely blanking out of it. Like because mm -hmm. I mean, Enid's like, I'm not an actress. I'm not supposed to be in this film. Or was this all planned for me? Is this a trap? Is this deliberate? <laughs> I have an older TV. Mm. Still, it still works. It doesn't turn off all the way, which is weird. <laughs> it glows when I turn it off, uh -huh. but it's not broken enough to th throw out because I'm my grandparents' grandson and they had things until they fell apart and then they put them back together with duct tape and then, you know, eventually. So my TV is old and capricious. The CRT? It is not. <laughs> Thank you. Flat screen? It is a flat screen. It's a flat, okay, well, fine. It's not that old. It's a fine, but it's old. Well, I mean, planned obsolescence and everything. Anyways, sure. so the movie begins 
to shrink its aspect ratio. Yes. And it starts subtly, subtly enough that I was watching and I went, God damn it, the TV went into standard definition. <laughs> because it's that rectangle box. Yeah. Like it, and I was like, It's not the four by three immediately. No. Fuck. It just kind of scooches in from the sides. So, it's, so yeah. you're saying the Andy Kaufman view. I 100% thought like, oh, it went from like, it went from regular HD into SD. And now it's like, oh, I'm going to have to turn off the movie and it's the best part. And then like 30 seconds later, I was like, oh, it's a gag. It's a gag. They're doing a bit. Okay. So the aspect ratio slowly begins to change imperceptibly and it's fucking rad. And I hope you watch the movie first because this is the spoiler because if you know it's going to happen, it doesn't work, I don't think. It works if you forgot it happened after watching it the first time four months ago. Yeah, I watched the movie three times and this is like the best part. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so cool. It's so cool. It's real cool. This is a good movie, guys. And I'd argue that there's another jump scare in the movie because a crewman comes and knocks on the window and spoops the bejesus out of everyone. Oh, yeah. Um, but during, so she's, uh, she's like, take off your top, put this on. All right. And when I was watching it the first time, I was like in my head, I was like, oh, my God, they're going to make her up to look just like Alice Lee. Maybe she's Alice Lee. And she didn't even know. And she's Tyler Durdening. Or at the very <laughs> least, she's going to get she's going to get like a glossy hair and makeup makeover. And then, no, they just put like a oh. shitty gown on her and then make her look shittier. And while this is happening. There is a newspaper on the uh, makeup table that has a picture of her on the cover going to rent a video at the video store. Like a pervert. Oh, censors are into video nasties. And again, is it there? Is it not there? How much of this is actually happening? I don't think that newspaper's there. I tend to agree that it would be very odd for that newspaper to be there. <laughs> also, I don't want Jerry's to get shut down. Poor guy. Barely making, getting by. When the crewman distracts them, she hides the newspaper under the desk. Just in case. Just in case. She's then finally covered in fake blood, uh, and the makeup lady is like, well, great, you look terrible, get to work. And she's like, the woods. And she's like, but wait a minute, I need to know about Alice Lee. What's going to happen to Alice Lee? What are they doing to Alice Lee? And makeup Debbie is like, what? Shut up. Here, have some more blood. Goosh. <laughs> get out of here. If you don't shut up, I'm going to keep throwing blood at you. Farewell, Debbie. You uh, were too good, too good mm. for this earth. Nothing happens to her. It's just like she's just great. And she's I just gone out of the movie, but we love her. Yeah, bye. Um, she walks through the woods, Enid does, to a little clearing with a camera, a light, and director Frederick North. And it's <laughs> fucking terrifying. Like if you're if you're Enid and you're walking towards this, I guess you better have lost your mind because otherwise, you'd be like. Oh, I got to get the hell out of here. This is where murders happen. I'm going to now be murdered. Frederick North really fucking thinks he's like the Yodorowsky of horror or something. He sucks. Fucking he God. sucks so bad. Like he demands she stand in the light and he interrogates her a little bit. And she's like, tell me about Alice Lee. He's like, oh, are you a fan? Where'd you get your idea for Don't Go in the Woods? He's like, I take all of my movie ideas from real life. Then he says the theme of the movie. People think that I create the horror, but I don't. Horror is already out there in all of us. It's in you. 
Enid's like, no, no, dude. He's like, yeah, it is. No, shut up. Where's my sister? We get the sense that he is trying to do like mind fucky Kubricky yeah. actor games where he's like, you're so filled with the darkness and you need to let it come out. And she's like, no, I don't. No, thanks. I don't have any darkness in me. Don't even. I, I couldn't even whistle. I believe in a thing called love. That's how little darkness I have in me. <laughs> And then he goes into screamy mode where he's like, fuck you. You either need to commit to this part or you don't, blah, blah, blah. And then she absolutely breaks down and she's like, mm. "I please, sir, I just, I need to see my sister. I want to see my little sister, blah, blah, blah. And we know that she is having a psychotic break. And Frederick North is just like, hot damn, we got ourselves a motion picture. <laughs> ah, finally. Cause now that's what I call acting. Something yeah. rotten inside of you release the evil and she's like no stop you're trying to make me look bad you're the bad person he's like perfect go into the scene like this yeah here's your here's your take that energy with you (laughs) then we become the film the aspect ratio is finally like i'm done and i'm a real tiny square and we get like a real change and the quality is a lot grainier too like it's a lot yeah it's not because this is for the most part this is a very like like slickly high definition film like in the best ways like not like yeah but it's it's a good looking film it's it it's in a good definition good aspect ratio now it gets all squishy and grainy yeah Yeah. they put all of the vhs effects on yeah (laughs) they they take after effects they flip all the vhs switches (laughs) they go to 1982 they steal a video toaster they bring that back with them (laughs) they go to will wheaton's house and swipe (laughs) <laughs> they, Fun fact: Bill Wheaton used to show for video toasters. Video toasters, wicked. Yeah, I I've seen the commercial. And so now she's in here, and she's got an axe, and uh, and the beast guy. Well, she's got an axe to grind. Mr. Oh. Mr. Mr. Beasts is in there, and he's like, "Yeah, finally, it's you, you and I. We're we're gonna do this. We're gonna do beast things." He and hugs he, her. He hugs her. She hugs him back. And we're like, and just like, get it? Because he's embracing the darkness. And then, (laughs) and then suddenly, he's got Alice Lee, and he says to her, "Hey, you with the X, embrace your darkness. We we got this. I'm. We're both gonna be murderers. There's something rotten inside you. And then we can tell that like Frederick was giving her the line reading from the script, and she's at this point pissed, and she wants to kill the Beast Man." And he's like, no, wait, 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 hold on a minute. And uh, she she chops him. That's not in the script. She murders him so good. <laughs> she, well, she, she he gets an axe in the chest, which is all well and good, but then he falls back and sticks his head in the TV. And then he gets electrocuted. And then the wound in his chest opens up and it's a little face. It's a little mouth and it's like, I am the horror. <laughs> and so she chops it more. I mean, I think that's a reasonable reaction to seeing a gross face in somebody's axe wound. That's what I'd do. Same. That's what any of us would do. Are you kidding? I mean, yeah, I mean this yeah. is practically a documentary. That's murder 101. Uh, we return to normal aspect ratio and everybody else is real confused and upset. <laughs> yeah. Cut is called. The director's like, what the hell is going on? One of the crewmen throws up. I don't know if we want to comment more on the quality of that moment. I'll have to watch it again. Oh, yeah, that one was a little better, but still. Alice is screaming and is like, Frederick, save me. 
And then she leaves. She runs away from the crazy axe lady. Enid sticks around long enough to cut Frederick's North head clean off. <laughs> and it is goofy. It's, it's a good, it is. <laughs> it's a little, it's a little fountain. Yeah. At this point, I was like, oh my God, are all the notes she has at the beginning of the movie about this movie itself? <laughs> Wait, did Edgar write I have to see this movie this? again. <laughs> There's no eye gouging, though. Enid is now chasing a very concerned Alice Lee through Spooky Forest. And she's like, hey, no, come back. Uh, I don't know why you're weirded out. Everything's great now. You see, the thing is, I'm doing all of this to protect you. And that's a direct echo of what she mm -hmm. says to her mom at the beginning of the movie. Like, I'm doing this to protect people. And she's failed at this job pretty authoritatively. Yeah, I, pretty bad. Alice Lee falls over and she's like, hey, I'll put the axe down. It's okay. It's okay. We're sisters. And Alice Lee's like, that was a movie. It was all fake. I have a sister and she's not you. Hurtful. Yeah. Very she's hurtful to the poor lady who just killed two people for and you. And it's like, you have her eyes though. Please be my sister. And Alice Lee's like, peace. Juices. <laughs> like I really, really, really need you to be my sister right now because I've done some stuff that I'm not super proud of. <laughs> so then Enid produces from a hole in reality <sighs> the funny games remote. <laughs> Thank you. I was going to make a funny games <laughs> reference. No, it's the remote that she used at the beginning of the movie to control the stuff at her censorship job. They didn't show that remote like 15 freaking times, like every time she's watching something. They showed it to us once, and they trusted us to remember it for, yeah. you know, eighty roughly 80 minutes. Yeah, because it's got that cool dial on it and stuff like that. It's hard to forget, but it's nice that they didn't, like, beat us over the head with it. I just appreciate when a movie gives me credit for my intelligence. This whole movie is a real testament to that. Mm. That the director and the team who made this movie were like, you know what? If you're watching this very specific horror movie about this very specific time in England, you're a smartish enough person and we're not going to have to we're not we don't have to hold your hand. Mm. And it's nice. It's nice mm. to be treated like an adult by a horror movie. Or any Isn't movie. It? TBH. Yeah. So she pulls out the magic funny games remote and rewinds reality. She hits play. Yes. And there's a golden light, and Alice Lee, her sister Nina, comes comes back wearing a halo and her white gown, and she's smiling, and she's so happy. She's okay with all this murder now. It's all fine. There's a bunch of dry ice smoke behind her, and it looks like she's about to like be in the Here I Go Again video. <laughs> and she's just like, take my hand. Let us return to our parents' house. Everything... <laughs> will be so great. She's basically Glinda the Good Witching it. Yeah. And when I watched the movie the first time, I was like, oh, it was Taxi Driver, and now it's Brazil. It's kind of like... <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, it yep. is absolutely Brazil. They hold but hands and run through the sunlit woods. There's Yay! birds singing. <laughs> and 
She takes the car home, and there's all and the there's... news. All the video nasties have been stopped, and crime has stopped. Crime's at zero. Because the video nasties, just like we on the news told you, the video nasties were causing the crime, and now everything's wonderful, and there's a rainbow. They stopped just short of saying, thank, thank you, Enid, for finally destroying the video nasties for us. Our hero. You've saved England. <laughs> For the children. And Corey wasn't just being like, uh, uh, she was not putting on uh, a, a bit. There is a literal giant cartoon rainbow uh, over the highway that they drive. They drive through it. And now they are pulling up to the parents' oh. house. And every, oh, what, but, but, but. There, there, there's a brief, there's a brief like flash. While I don't know what you're car. talking about. What, huh? There's Everything is great. Where you see, where you see, where where it goes back to regular, regular, gro- um, unhappy, great. I, I think that was just a VHS glitch. And you see, and it kind of glitches, and you see Alice Lee looking horrified in the passenger seat. I don't know what you're talking. You know what probably happened oh, okay. is probably that like uh, that I, torrented oh, movie I, probably had tor- like it probably uh, glitched out. Yeah, it probably, right. uh, probably bad. That encode. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah that yeah. encode. There's a nice suburban house and their family, uh, their parents are in the front yard and Nina goes up and grabs parents' hands and they're all smiling and being like, oh, did your, did your version you fixed have the everything. glitching where everybody looked really unhappy and horrified every so often? No, the mom found the Jaffa cakes, actually, and oh, uh, they huh. all sit down to tea. I don't know. Maybe I saw it. Maybe I maybe I accidentally <laughs> downloaded like like a work print or something it does seem like at one point they're they stop laughing and they all look horrified but that i don't know it's like they're silently screaming a little bit but no <laughs> yeah it's yeah. not well, it's not in the horror of what Ina did because it, it's like eyelids flutter like she just has to like remember that everything's okay you know? yeah yeah no. um and then uh and then there's a giant rainbow over the house and it looks exactly like the cover <laughs> of the day the world began the day the earth stood still and then enid looks at the screen at us makes direct creepy eye contact with us and is like man it all worked out great and then she laughs in a normal way yeah in a very normal way and then a hard cut to a vcr and a tape pops out of it and it says censor and then we hear some guy yodeling <laughs> that's yeah. the movie i feel like almost every movie would benefit from ending like that God, the the music that plays over the credits is the same music that's playing in the video store earlier, and I looked it up, oh. and it's just like is a French composer, and the this film had a lady French composer, and they used a bunch of other music, which is cool. the The happy dreamlike music, uh, where everything is good and shiny and rainbows, is called Chernobyl. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice, because she's having a meltdown. <laughs> Mm. Mm. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm reading too much into it. And that's the movie. And I stood up on my couch and applauded. I wanted to stand. I wanted to be standing as elevated as possible to give it the tallest standing ovation I could in my apartment. Josh, I really, really appreciate the level of buy-in you have on things that I wish I could equal, but just don't. <laughs> I mean, I'm also completely dead inside. So I think external, mm. uh, uh, you know, kind of, external stimulation of that sort like anything that's not my darkness my my uh, this film just so much repressed trauma it's so on good on the screen oh it's so it's good it's very good it's very it's, very good it's so good movie um it's extremely my jam 
Yeah, same. I haven't read too many bad reviews of this picture because it's perfect in every way. I did glance at a couple like IMDb, like, you know, Ugh. like, I gave this 3.5 because it's boring. And it's like, <laughs> oh, okay. It's like not enough murders. It's good murders. There's good murders in it. I know. I know. I loved it. And I'm glad you two did as well because it's nice to show you something that's not terrible. <laughs> Listen, Josh, I'm not going to expect this to become a habit. Oh, yeah. Don't get used to it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, one out of three is, is an okay average, I guess. <laughs> no, I, got, I got good vibes. I got good vibes. I, 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 I felt like uh, Mandy and Eraserhead and just so many things that I enjoy. <laughs> Oh, it's, and again, not to keep ringing on Malignant because it's terrible, but like all of the things, all of the things that Juan said he was going to do, Cronenberg, uh, Argento, Bava, this guy, the other guy. It feels like too many things. <laughs> she does all of it. Prano, Bailey Bond, she, with the, when the little guy pops out of the chest wound is like, doors in oh, you. Oh yeah. I was like, gonna, it's like, that that's some Cronenberg. beautiful Cronenberg ass shit right, right there. It's just like. But the thing is about references is that you still have to make a movie. And that's the thing I really love the most about Censor is because I, I love being – look, I love being rewarded for wasting my life watching trash. And Censor absolutely does that. But what she's able to do is take a giant pile of video store horror movie 1980s references and then – use them in the service of telling an amazing story and making a wholly unique piece of mm -hmm. cinema. That's the thing about references is that you have to do something with them besides just go, look at that. That's like that thing. I've never really seen someone pull off the, the um, kind of reactionary watching movie violence causes violence thing. Right. Yeah, you, you need to watch Videodrome then. Not that I'm saying that Videodrome is a better film than this, but Videodrome also does this. But also, Videodrome does it in the in the actual era that this movie is referencing. Anyway, I think you'd like Videodrome. I guess is like the thrust of what I'm saying. I've never seen it. Oh, interesting. Well, I would recommend that neither of you watches it right away because <laughs> it's enough. possible that somebody might force you to watch it. Oh, yeah. it's one of those bits and bobs movies for me i'm sure when i was a kid i watched like five minutes of it here and there and certainly i've read a million things about it but um it's I have uh, the criterion edition oh. i like me some cronenberg mm -hmm. well i likes me some classic cronenberg not necessarily like later cronenberg at any rate i'm a film student Censor, it's great. You should watch it and you should recommend it to all of your friends. It's scary, but if you can handle a psychological horror and some goofy gore, I think it's uh I I don't know. Would you would you two recommend it to people who aren't necessarily horror movie people? Mm, well, okay. That's complicated because it kind of depends like it kind of depends on what you mean by not horror movie people, but also it is enriched by having certain level of frame of reference for the era and for like like not even like a big one but having at least seen like at least one like gross 80s horror movie really does yeah. help like with mm -hmm. context yeah 
you have to consider the intellectual aspect, like the tradition of movie horror that it comes from, where eye gouging <laughs> is is a thing. Also, like it really front loads the movie with like yeah. a bunch of slasher no, imagery and stuff that might not yep. be cool for people. I do think it would be interesting, enjoyable for people without that frame of reference who do enjoy this kind of movie and might encourage them to then look into it more and maybe like watch themselves like a classic evil dead or something if they were of a mind to. So I don't think it's a requirement. I, I feel like if you watched it and you were interested in like its vibe and then you watched some other stuff and came back and watched it again, that would be a good experience. Yeah. But I also, like, I'm not going to get my mom to watch it. I might. Don't get my mom to watch. If things. you know someone who loves movies made by someone who loves movies, like if you like uh, the Hideakiano Shin stuff, oh, yeah. this is that. This is for <laughs> it's you. Shin Video Nasty. My eyes went so blank. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking okay. about, Corey. We we went into weeb territory, and now Josh is lost. It's okay. Shin Common Rider's coming. Yay! Oh, I know. Uh... But first, Shin Ultraman. Oh. Anyway, this has been us talking about censor. It's real fucking good, and you should see it. I'm Josh Kagan. You can find me at Josh A. Kagan on Instagram. You can find me at Epsilar on Twitter. I'm Adam Wasserman. You can find me at Gold Sarcasmium on Twitter and Instagram. Booga booga booga. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I don't know. Don't watch, don't watch a movie and then kill somebody the way that that happened in the movie because then we don't get to have nice things. Don't do what Anna does. No, oh, I mean, you can do some of the things I do. Yeah. I don't do that. Yeah, Anna doesn't do murders. <laughs> it's true. Good night. <laughs> Bye. Welcome to the post show again. I know stuff's got a little dark in sections or gross, perhaps, but I felt the context was valuable and interesting. The next movie is Undersea Super Train Marine Express, which you can find on YouTube. Have a good one.